Are you a clinician in primary care who wishes there were better resources to help you understand how to navigate the concept of triage in modern general practice? We'll boost your triage skills with our dynamic five-session live webinar course tailored for primary care clinicians. Led by myself and Dr. Ed Pooley from Difficult Conversations, this comprehensive training covers all facets of remote patient triage, whether that be digital, on-call, or other opportunities. Through this course, you'll gain practical knowledge, exclusive hints and tips, and direct access to myself and Ed through open Q&A sessions of the course. Elevate your ability to manage primary care challenges effectively and confidently, and most importantly, safely. Register now to transform your triage approach at bit.ly slash GP triage course for GP in capitals. And we will definitely catch you then. How can we improve the primary and secondary care interface in terms of communications? Well, an area of the UK has looked at this and created its consensus of how to improve the communication between primary and secondary care. And in this episode, I'm going to briefly discuss that whole document and share with you basically what you need to know about it. Let's take enhance your primary care and learning. Hey, GP learners. So in this episode, I'm going to go through the consensus of primary secondary care communication by the Cheshire and Merseyside Integrated Care System. And this is basically a quick rundown. If you want a much more detailed explanation of this document and reasonings and thoughts and various other things, check out our longer episode with Andy, where we basically review this document in full. But in this one, we're basically just going to run through the document really, really quickly and main, main headings and stuff. So let's get cracking, shall we? It's created between the various different parts of the system, so the various different care boards, providers, and the LMC, and also has the agreement by the Merseyside RCGP faculty, which is important to know, although we can't really see much patient involvement in this, although there may have been, but it's just not clear from the document. Has been signed off by the head of their ICB, and basically it's something they're looking at as principles to share with clinicians to basically hopefully improve the whole communication aspects. The document split into three parts, and in particular, it looks at principles for all as the mainstay of the document itself. And the first and foremost part of this is absolutely looking at respect between clinicians and how this is really, really important. It then talks about keeping patients at the centre of their care. And again, that's really, really important and common sense to most people and stuff. It then talks about making sure that it then talks about making sure you can do what you can when you can do it. So this is a key thing about basically if you can do something, don't pass it on to somebody else. It's not great to do so. And that's on both sides of a coin in terms of primary and secondary care. Then talks about maintaining the responsibility of investigations that may need to happen. So, for example, if you requested a test, it's your responsibility to follow that up and make sure that it's being looked at appropriately and stuff. It's not um, you know, somebody else's job to do that. And we have to unfortunately see that in primary care in particular, but absolutely relevant to secondary care as well keeping the patient informed of the actual journey and what's happening and different aspects of that in terms of their care and what's due to happen, really important. And then it talks about talking first. And then specifically is talking about using the phone as a method of communication rather than having to use emails, because that's easy to fire and forget, isn't it? And pass the buck in a sense. But actually talking with individuals can be so much more effective. Well, the logistics of how to do that, a little bit more challenging potentially does also talk about managing the waiting well list. So this is the situation where patients have been referred to, for example, secondary care services, and how do the two different sides of it manage that anxiety the patient may have, particularly with the backlog on a longer list we may be seeing and stuff. And then talks about making sure that when medications are recommended for patients, these have been appropriately counseled in terms of the initiation and stuff. And it's really important to remember that needs to happen from both sides of the field as well. 
It then next talks about not committing others to actions that they may or may not be able to do. Now, I think many in primary care may be guilty of this and absolutely in secondary care as well in terms of saying that, well, you need to go have this done. They should be able to do it for you. Um, actually, you may not know everything that's on the other side of it, what can be done, what cannot be done, and therefore making sure that you're not committing somebody to some sort of particular action and sending that patient off with that expectation for something to happen when it may not be that that's what's due to happen and therefore reducing the hopeful conflict from that. The document then talks about the principles for primary care in particular and what to focus on. And the first one it is very clear about is being clear in your asks. So absolutely when you're referring a patient, whether that's acutely um, in terms of an admission or whether that's less acutely for outpatients or other kinds of services, making it clear what you're actually asking the other side of the clinicians to, to basically be answering the question for. Is it in regards to investigations? Is it regards to diagnosis? Is it uncertainty that you're trying to understand? Or is it a medication plan and stuff? And that can be really important to explain in detail what is the actual ask. It's something I do with many of my trainees and stuff. It then does talk about making sure there's been suitable pre-checks that have happened, either in process of that referral or in terms of managing the long-term conditions of those particular patients. Now, I can understand this can be a bit of a grey area in an area for contention, particularly in primary care, where this may be seen as a computer says no element or a tick box element that needs to happen. I think that, however, there is absolutely importance to understand this point in the sense that actually if you're referring a patient for surgery and they've got a poorly controlled HbA1c, well, that's actually going to impact their ability to potentially even have surgery. So trying to get that under control beforehand, really important and stuff. It then talks about communication and patient journey with the patients. So actually what's due to happen, how they're meant to be contacted and that kind of stuff. And there is some responsibility on our behalf to make sure that's clear and descriptive to patients. So at least they know what to expect and stuff. Then the document talks about the principles of secondary care, in particular what they need to be aware of and how to manage that. One of the key things it mentions, and I think this is one of the key areas for many areas itself in terms of understanding, is timely communication to the GP. We see this in many situations where the GP may not be informed about changes in plans, actions, or various parts of treatment, and that can happen for sometimes weeks and potentially even months after the effect, and that's not helpful or useful. Important to remember, patients should never be the vehicle of communication for medical information because it's not safe, it's not appropriate, and absolutely not effective. It then also talks about make sure you're not requesting specialist requests and, and test investigations from the GP in particular. We may not be able to do them for a start, but then referring a patient back to us just to have them done is not appropriate. And actually, if you are needing those investigations, especially coming back to you as a specialist, then absolutely you should be organising them yourself. And if you can't, then actually you should be arranging who they go to in terms of that onward referral and stuff. The one that I think many GPs will be absolutely keen for secondary care to be more involved with is providing the Med3 fit note to patients when appropriate. Now, increasingly, we may see this happen because of additional roles being able to do this from the 1st of July. But absolutely, this is a really important step. And, and if you are ever in a situation where you are giving a patient a one or two week sick note for a procedure or some issue that is clearly going to keep them away from work for a longer period of time, then you're doing a really poor job, to be honest, in terms of holistic care and stuff. That's not appropriate. And you shouldn't be sending those patients back to the GP surgery and stuff just to get the fit notes and stuff. And then also talks about prescribing it immediately when needed. So, for example, if you're recommending patients start some medication instantly, you know, that day, within a day or so, a couple of days even, then to be honest, you should be providing that prescription directly to the patient. You should not be using the communication methods that we talked about above, which may not be clear and on time, to say that for the patient to get that prescription from the GP surgery and stuff. And actually, if you are recommending it's needed today, 
absolutely should be providing that medication to the patient today and also ensuring they've got an appropriate supply of medications when it comes to certain situations for example like discharge and it particularly mentioned uh, ideally a minimum two-week supply once they've been discharged from hospital and stuff again from secondary care important to make sure you're checking local guidance in terms of prescribing so for example recommending medication that's completely out of the guidance and pathways uh, you need a very very good reason to be doing so not just please prescribe this and leaving it blank as that in terms of information because that's poor communication and actually it's not in terms of the local guidance and therefore you'll probably get a return request returned back to you it's also important to be aware of the various community services that you could patch yourself into in terms of for the patient's care and stuff rather than having to debunk and, and you know, delegate that to the gps and stuff uh, and actually we don't like it when people do that and stuff Additionally, it talks about making sure the patient journey is sensible when it comes to discharging from clinic. So, for example, if there's been has not been immediate contact by a patient, not automatically discharging them from clinic is a key and common problem we're seeing. If you are doing that for the first attempt, then actually that's in breach of the NHS England contracts and stuff and things. But make sure there's a process for patients to understand their journey and what happens if the, the communication may not be working appropriately. Then finally, it talks about onward referrals and how to manage those. And in particular, if you are recommending patients use another service, then probably you should be arranging that referral yourself. Now, I know there's this old adage that secondary care shouldn't have to do this, that commissioning groups and stuff prevents that from happening. But actually, many areas have reversed those decisions because of the fact they realised how much time it was causing for many and both sides of the coin, and especially for the patients themselves, how it's delaying care. Additionally, if this is ever a concern about cancer, absolutely, you hold that responsibility in secondary care in terms of making sure that referral is happening immediately, effectively, because actually that responsibility lies within the clinician making that decision and stuff, not passing the book back to the general practice and stuff. As you can see, I'm a GP, I'm emotive on this topic because it's a key issue of workload increase that we're seeing, but absolutely this is a collaborative element that we need to be aware of in terms of how things work for both sides in terms of primary and secondary care communication. It is a document about principles, it is not guidelines, and it's absolutely there to start that discussion in various different areas, and hopefully that will allow that to happen in your local area. So as always, if you've got any questions, let me know. Let your comments down below. Share this with your colleagues because I'm sure they'll be interested to know about it, especially both in primary and secondary care. And if you want a more detailed discussion about all this stuff, check out this video coming up right here. That's me and Andy talking about this in absolutely more detail. Ultimately, there's another one for you right here. And always, we're here to help tech enhance your primary care and learning. Catch you in the next episode. Oh, hello there, EGP learner. I'm Dr Gandalf and I often get asked what kind of resources do you have to try and help those using EMIS because you tend to do a lot more stuff for System 1. And often I've really struggled to answer that question because let's be honest, I don't use EMIS on a regular basis. So therefore trying to help EMIS users is a little bit more difficult for myself. And that really made me feel, well, not great. So I kind of did something to try and help all those EMIS users out there. I went and had a chat with one of my colleagues, Dr Mike from GP on the Move, and him and I have created a course that you can use to help you use EMIS so much better. That's right, if you use EMIS but you want to use it so much better, so much quicker, and in such a way that means you go home sooner, then check out our EMIS for Clinicians course. It's an online course that takes you through all the tips and tricks that Dr Mike knows to try and basically mean you can go home quicker. That'd be a cool thing, wouldn't it? And guess what? It's currently on offer. So if you want to take advantage of this introductory offer and get access to it now, look at the links down below and check it out.
Additionally, if you're a practice, network, or wide area that wants more opportunity to use it, send me an email, egplearning at gmail.com. Let's see if we can help you out. And as I like to say, tech enhance your primary care and learning. Shall we get back to it? Oh, and if you wanted one for System 1 users, well, you know I've got you covered, haven't I? Check out the Learn System 1 for Clinicians course, bit.ly slash tpp s1 course.